maybe you're in, odds are a lot of you guys are in, now maybe you're only ankle deep, maybe you're knee deep, or maybe you're in over your head, but what do you do when everything begins to fall apart? What do you do when life feels like everything's just falling apart? And, and I'll be honest with you guys, this has happened a couple times throughout my life where looking back, I was like, man, it was just overwhelming circumstances. There were things so far outside of our control or things that people were doing uh, even though we didn't deserve it or maybe things weren't working out right or life was just hard. What do we do? What is up with that? Why does that even happen in the first place? I mean, if God loves us, why does he allow hard things to happen? It's a fair question, right? If God loves us and you say he's always with us and his thoughts are for us and not against us and a future and a hope, then why doesn't he just stop it before it starts? What's the answer to that question? It's a big question. No one likes hurting. No one likes pain. And yet it is a very real part of life. The good thing is we don't have to live in that for our entirety. There's just seasons that we go through or valleys that we uh, are just forced to endure. The awesome thing is that there's always another mountaintop. See, if there weren't mountains, there'd be no valleys. You know that, right? The only thing that makes a valley are two mountains. But between those two mountains, there's places that are dark and that are scary. And, you know, shepherd boy David, who became king over Israel, he wrote, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. The greatest word or one of them in that entire uh, psalm is the word through. It says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I walked into, I got stuck in the middle of, I was consumed by. We get the understanding he made it through the valley of the shadow of death. And so this morning, we're going to look at what the word of God says about trials and tribulations Or modern day, just when everything falls apart, when things are hard and don't make sense, right? But uh, let's let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, every one of us, this maybe causes pain to rise to the surface a little bit. Lord, for some, it's very real right now. They're they're not through that valley yet. They're in it. Lord, would you comfort them? Would you give them hope? Lord, for those of us that would look back and say, man, I remember how hard it is. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, for the valleys to come, God, would you teach us how to endure, how to walk, Lord, how to take comfort in the fact that you are with us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys maybe grew up, I remember borrowing just a couple months ago a rock tumbler from somebody. And uh, it's, a, it's a small one. I was hoping for this huge one. I wanted to do some kind of stupid experiment. But you guys know what rock tumblers do, right? You take uh, it's just an ordinary rock, or maybe you get some special rock from somewhere. But it's just it's pretty rough on the outside. You found it walking down the street, or you kicked it home from school, or you picked it up uh, near a riverbed or something. But it's just an, a fairly ordinary rock. But you put it in this rock tumbler, and it goes through this process of just being knocked around over and over and over again. And honestly, I kind of failed. I borrowed this rock tumbler from a friend, and I thought it was going to be like, by tomorrow morning, this would be this beautiful, shiny rock. Because when you pull it out at the end of the process, it's polished, it's shiny, it's smooth. I mean, it's, a, it's like a jewel, a gem, just an ordinary rock. And I remember I got it, and I opened up the box that he gave me, and he said, oh, yeah, the instructions are in there, and everything you need is in there. And I began to read it, and it was like, okay, the first one, you pour in the little the sand gravel stuff, and then you drop your rock in and make sure it's wet, and just turn it on and let it tumble for one to three days. And I was like, whoa, that's not tomorrow morning. 
And then I kept reading step two. Empty it out, then put in the next kind of sand. It's a finer, thinner sand. And it says, let that tumble for seven to ten days. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And then you turn the page and step three, your final step, you take it out and you put in this stuff, super fine powder and a little bit of water, and you put that rock back in there and you let it tumble. It said anywhere from 20 to 30 days, just keep this thing going. The whole process is like a 35 day. And so I was dedicated. I was in, I put it in there, I got it going, and all you hear is, now imagine that in your living room for about 35 days so I took it outside in the garage and I put it in the garage and you could still hear it through the wall so I put it in a box in the garage and closed the lid and then that might start a fire so I thought that was a bad idea and I failed and gave up why I couldn't endure the tumbling of the rock it was just too much and yet if you can make it to the end If you can go all the way through that process, what you end up with is this beautiful, gleaming stone that was once just a rough, unnoticed piece of rock. And why do bad things happen in our lives? Why do we go through and why must we endure suffering and trial and pain sometimes? There's multiple reasons. But one of the biggest for a believer is that they knock off the edges, that they begin to polish us and increase our understanding of God and that our relationship with him becomes more and more beautiful, more and more attractive, that there be more and more light in our life that the world would see Jesus in us. The pain is not fun, it's not exciting, but when Paul says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, what in the world is wrong with that guy? Who says that? Oh, you're going to go, your parents are, you're, they're fighting a lot? Awesome! No one says that. Oh, grandma, grandma has cancer, or your dog just passed away, or you're getting bullied at school, or your teacher's just mean, so cool, I wish I were you. No one says that. And yet Paul says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What did he mean? What did he mean by that phrase? What did he mean by saying something so different and abstract and confusing? See, it wasn't the circumstances and the tumbling through life we go, and he says, just enjoy every bruise and bump you get. It was looking forward to the finished product. It's in that very moment, he says, I learned how to abound. I, I learned how to be more happy than I could contain. And so I just walked around smiling. He says, I learned how to abound and have more than I'd ever needed. And he says, I also learned how to suffer. How to truly go through times of pain and difficulty and wanting and need. But what's amazing, is God in the blessings? Oh, big time. Is God in the suffering? Possibly even more so. It's amazing. When we talk about trials and tribulations we got to talk for a moment there's a difference between trials tribulations and temptations all right so many people throw their temptations into the same camp and then they blame god for everything going on or or they just don't take responsibility for maybe things that they've caused themselves like if you're getting beat up at school because you're just sitting there bugging people and annoying them that's not a tribulation just stop annoying them and you'll be fine right or if you're getting, you know, C's and D's and a couple F's, and you're like, man, I'm going through such hard times. Just pray for me. Okay, uh, what's going on? You doing your homework? No. You study for your test? No. Are you nice to the teacher? No. 
It's like, well, guess what? I bet you if you were a little bit more respectful to the teacher, you did some of your homework and you got ready for a test, you wouldn't be such a hard time. But then there's times that come against us that we're completely out of control. It's not your fault. You didn't have anything to do with it, right? I mean, one of the biggest ones in my life, my parents split up when I was three years old. Do you think that was my doing? Like, what a bratty little three-year-old. Your parents broke up because you couldn't eat right. You made a mess when you played with your Legos. Like, I don't know. Of course not. But it happened. There's a difference. When we talk about trials, all right? Here's the word, the trials. It means a test or an experiment to prove something. Every time we go through and take a test, it is to prove something. And so when we go through trials in our life, there's a proving that happens no matter what, whether you get an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. At the end of the test, you know how well you understood the information, right? We just took a big test two weeks ago. It was a 100-question test, multiple choice. And if you pass, you get the special license. If you fail, you're rejected, and you can come back some other time. But the whole thing, what's the point? To prove if you understood the topics or not. Same thing. How many of you guys want to drive someday? All right. That's most of you. There's always one or two that are like, no way, man. I might die. But for the most part, you all want to drive someday. Thank goodness. Man, you know what my grandma did to get her driver's license? I think she's going to be 85 next month. My grandma's an amazing lady. Uh, she lived, grew up in Kansas. And when you wanted your driver's license, when you turned, I believe it was 14, you would drive yourself down to the DMV. Then you would walk up to this little window and you'd write out your name and probably your social security number. And then you would give them a quarter and then they would give you your driver's license and you would drive home. There was no testing involved. There was no writing involved. There was just drive yourself on down, bring your quarter with you and we'll give you your license. It was crazy. Yeah, and we're all like, ah, bring it on. No, 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 do that now. You know how many people would just be driving backwards on the freeway and doing left and right turns when they're not supposed to? And there's a reason for the test so that we can trust you. You ever realize on the freeway, you're going 65, 70, some of your parents, 80 miles an hour in a straight line, but so is the guy next to you. And the only thing keeping him from slamming you off the road is he doesn't feel like it. That's crazy. That's it. There's no track that they're on. There's no wall. It's just trust that no one's going to ruin my day. But sometimes, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way, but sometimes people ruin your day, right? Or sometimes, right, that squirrel jumps out. Ah! And so what happens? The dog, the kid kicks the ball across the road, and your parents have to, in that moment, it is a version of a trial. They're being tested. How are your reflexes? Can you stop in time? Can you swerve? Do you know what to do or not? And in the life, when we're going along in life and everything's fine, we're doing good in baseball, and we got A's and B's at school, and our parents are getting along, but then all of a sudden, something erupts that we never saw coming. How we react shows us our trust and our relationship with God. How we react shows us what process we are in in that tumbling motion. And so trials are tests that come. It can be a sickness. It can be a broken relationship. It's, it's the observable thing going on in your life. And so then if those are what trials are, what are tribulations? They're two different words, so they must have two different meanings. It means pressure or opposition. Uh, infliction is distress or the pressing together. Some of you guys 
grew up playing with Play-Doh, right? You take all the colors and just mash them together to what looks like puke. But it's that process of smashing and pressing together. Oftentimes, right, trials refer to what's happening to us. Tribulations typically refer to what's happening in us. The trial's on the outside. It's that person, it's that thing, it's that circumstance. Tribulations is that pressure and that emotion on the inside, the part that people can't see. And I think it's interesting. Oftentimes, right, those trials, those things that you can see happening, a a broken relationship, uh, a difficult teacher, those things we talk about, maybe you drink a bad frappuccino and get sick at night, and you're going through this hard, hard trial in your life. That's observable. But what's not observable oftentimes is the tribulation. It's this pressing together. See, you don't know how I feel inside today. You don't. I could be having the worst day of my life and pretend like everything's fine. But the same is true for you. And for some of us, we could be having the greatest day, but we like attention, so it's like, how are you? I'm all right. See, the tribulation refers to the pressing on the inside, that part that's the most difficult to handle, to be honest. And isn't it weird? Maybe I'm the only one that experienced it, but I remember times in my life where there were no trials Relationships were fairly fine. Work was going well, or school was fine, and hockey was great, and grades were up. But man, there was something on the inside that just wasn't working right. You don't have to have one to go through the other. It's amazing. You don't have to go through testing and trials to go through difficult tribulations. But we have to differentiate for a moment, just for a second, is temptation. Temptations are its complete own topic. There's, it's a whole nother world. It's to be enticed or to allure you to do something often regarded as unwise, wrong, or immoral. Temptations are when Satan hangs that carrot in front of our face. It's when we're tempted to lie to our parents to see the movie we really wanted to see. Or it's that temptation to say you're going to be at John's house when you're really going to be at Jenny's house. Or it's that temptation to cheat on a test. Or you're being tempted now to go sin against God. It's a very, very, very different thing. Temptations deal directly with sin. Trials and tribulation. Oftentimes, you had no choice in the matter. They're part of our lives. But let me tell you something right now. God will never tempt you. You know that? The Bible says, do not say that God has tempted me. He does not tempt anyone, nor can he himself be tempted. God will never say, isn't she cute and just cause you to lust. God will never say, isn't that beer bottle nice and shiny? Just give it a drink. God will never say, hey, don't you just want to see that movie that's immoral and corrupt and, and glorifies sin? Man, just lie to your parent. That is never, never, never God. And by the way, it isn't just Satan either. Who is it? It's all you stinking, dirty, rotten sinners. Mostly me too. It is. James says it comes from within ourselves. And then Satan comes along and says, hey, he's got this little fire in his life over here. He just wants stuff right now. He's consumed with having more. And so he makes sure that you see he hangs that carrot, right? He doesn't cause the hunger. He just feeds it. He doesn't start the fire. He just pours gas on top of it. But don't forget, trials are something, or temptations are something totally different. It's being enticed to sin, to something that you know God doesn't want you to do. Trials and tribulations, they're part of our lives. Psalms 42, verse 5. David asked, that same guy, he said, 
though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? You ever feel like that? You just sit alone in your room and you're like, what is wrong with me? Everything's fine, but I'm just bummed. Or everything is great, but I'm, I'm just flat out discouraged. John 11, 33, 34, and 35 says um, that we find Jesus. This is nuts. It's when Lazarus died. Remember Lazarus? I believe it was like his cousin or something. He died. He's been buried. He gets there, and Mary starts being, you should have been here. Why did it take you so long? He just starts tearing into him, and Jesus begins to weep and to cry. I mean, a lot of people died. Jesus didn't weep and cry over every single person. And he was about to bring them back from the dead. Like, what's he crying about? He was broken on the inside. If Jesus went through tribulations, we're going to go through tribulations. It's going to be the same thing. Luke 22, verse 44, Jesus asked, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do, go to the cross. I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to be torn into pieces. And I certainly don't want nails ran through my, my arms and my feet. You don't want it. You find him praying that it would pass. But what does it do to us? It shows us what's on the inside, right? Um, some of you guys understand, like, you know, potpourri. You crush a bunch of flowers that makes the bathroom smell good. Uh, or all these different kinds of things that we smell. Look, what you get when you crush something, you smell what's on the inside, right? You agree? A rose. A rose is a rose. But you go and you begin to grind it up and crush it up. You really smell the fragrance of it. It's amazing. It's awesome. Even if you're a man, I'm a man. Smell a rose, all right? It's awesome. Now, when you get your driver's license, at some point you're going to realize something, that there's this thing in the road, and it's black and it's white, and it, oh, it stinks. What is that? You run over a skunk, you get a slightly different aroma. True? You grind up a rose, you get, oh, it smells good. It makes the poop smell go away in the bathroom. Everything's wonderful in potpourri. You run over a skunk, it just smells like poop. It's bad. It's horrible. When we go through these kinds of things, they grind up what's on the inside and show us what's really there. That if we throw temper tantrums, they get mad and, oh, I don't know what to do. Or if we say, you know what? I don't know what to do, but I know the Lord's got me. You know how diamonds are formed? They're amazing. It's crazy. I looked it up just the other day. I was like, I, I mean, you always hear it comes from coal. It doesn't come from coal. It comes from carbon. Coal is made out of carbon, so they're similar. But it comes from carbon, and it's under insane amount of pressure and heat and depth. It begins to press it all together. Do you know how hot carbon has to become before it becomes a diamond? It's insane. Um, where are we at? 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Lava from a volcano only gets about 2,200 degrees. It has to get hotter than lava itself. It's like, how does that happen? And at the same time, I don't know what 50 kilobars are of weight, but apparently it equates to 4,000 grown men stacked up standing on top of your big toe. A ton of pressure, a ton of heat, and they're found over 100 miles down deep in the earth, and they're pushed to the surface. It's crazy, but you take this junky old black carbon and turn it into one of the most priceless things on earth. It's exactly what happens when trials and tribulations, they position us. They put us in the position of pressing and that heat 
and that difficulty, but what is given at the end, the result, it's worth it. They position us to see, all right? So a couple things real quick. They position us to see what's right in front of us. They position us to see more clearly for some of us, maybe correctly. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, it says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, his sicknesses, he says. I would rather boast in being sick, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my sickness. I take pleasure in my reproaches, meaning people are are mocking you and they're giving you a hard time, bullying, if you want to use that word, in reproaches, in your needs, and in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake. And then he makes a statement, for when I am weak, that's when I am strong. That when we're crushed down into nothing, or when things are all jumbled up, he says, the one thing I see clearly is Jesus. It's nuts. When things go wrong and inside out and backwards and everything's kind of falling apart. Look, I could light a candle or could have put a candle up here or a small little light bulb, but no one really would have noticed, right? would have noticed i mean or you might okay you wouldn't have cared but then let's say it's two o'clock in the morning and there's a huge earthquake and the power goes out and everyone's running around freaking out in your house you're crying and pretending it's your sister but everyone's just going nuts and then what happens dad finds a little flashlight what happened everyone boom. hi dad Sorry about yesterday. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he turns off the light. Click. No! Back on. He's like, ha ha. What? That little tiny light bulb brings so much hope in that moment. During the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't care. But man, in the moment, it's everything. That when we go through those trials and through those tribulations and there's great shaking in our lives or that pressure on the inside, what's the reason? It's to position us so that we can see more clearly. During the day when things are easy, there's all kinds of distractions. Distractions of technology, distractions of peer pressure, distractions of of the pursuit of success and grades, and there's a distraction of sports, all of this stuff and family and what I want. But you begin to shake that stuff up with trials and tribulations, and the only thing left in your life that remains is Jesus, you will run to him. You'll, you will. You'll run to Jesus. And so sometimes the Lord uses these things. I'm not saying he causes all of them, but he will use them to help us see more clearly, hey, you've forgotten me. You've exalted your friends above me. Hey, you've exalted family above me. Hey, you've exalted your grades above me or that position on that team you thought were more important than me. And so it's all shaken a little bit. It's causing us to see more clearly, to turn back to Jesus. Positions us to see, also position us to listen. How many of you guys are told you need to learn how to listen a little better? Okay, all right. Was I, uh, me, right? You ever heard the whole thing? Like, you got two, ear, two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should be twice as much listening as you do talking. We need to listen a little better. What's that? So do they? <laughs> Apparently, you haven't learned it yet. 
Position us back in line with Jesus as priority. You guys ever read the story of Saul becoming Paul? In Acts chapter 9. This guy's on a rampage. He's taking people captive and binding them up and dragging them out of their homes and cities and back into prison. I mean, he's going nuts. And then what happens? Jesus shakes things up. He shows up. Whatever it is going on in the moment, it says he's knocked off his horse, falls on the ground. He's blinded by this light. And the Lord begins to speak to him and confronts the stuff in his life. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, his entire life was changed in that moment. Do you think it was fun to fall off a horse? Hey, I don't want to fall on my own shoelaces, let alone off a horse. That's crazy talk. And to be blinded? It says that he had to be led into the city. He couldn't see for three days, and he didn't eat or drink any. I mean, this guy, none of that was fun. But it helped him to hear what he needed to hear. For some of us, unless we're blinded or knocked off our horse, we won't listen. We just won't listen to the Lord. And so he allows things to be shaken. He allows things to get stirred up. He allows us to fall out of that position we wanted. And it's, God, how come? I said, I tried. Remember with Saul, he, God didn't necessarily wake up and be like, I can't wait to just pummel Saul today. Saul heard Stephen, the martyr, give one of the most amazing messages years prior in his life. Saul heard the gospel so many times, but it took God knocking him down before he could clearly hear and understand what was going on. I believe with all my heart God uses things to knock us down so that we can see him straight and so that we can hear what he has to say. To position us to what we should see, to position us to listen, but also position us to where God wants us to be. Is it possible that all the bad stuff in your life is leading you somewhere? It's leading you somewhere. It's, it's shaping and molding your character, whether you're going to be a kind person or kind of rough. It's molding and shaping if you're going to be full of compassion and grace and mercy or if you're going to just be completely self-absorbed. That these things, they treat us how to treat people. They, uh, they teach us what's more valuable in life and what's not, what is a big deal and what's just a, an insignificant matter. That these things God is leading you, maybe he's going to close an opportunity you swore you wanted. I want to be captain of the team, or I want to be valedictorian, or I want to live in a big house, or I want... God says no. God's so mean. No, he's not. He's just leading you to where he's created you to be. Sometimes... Getting to where we're supposed to be involves a little bit of pain. Uh, Genesis chapter 37. You guys know about Joseph, right? You guys know Joseph? How many of you guys don't know the story of Joseph? He had a super cool coat his dad gave him with all the colors. How many of you guys are like, I don't know Joseph? Okay. How many of you guys do know Joseph? All right. So you tell me, what happened to Joseph? He got beat up by his brothers. And sold into slavery. What kind of day is that? Now, now, you expect, right, you're walking home from school and a bunch of guys jump out of a bush with a knife. You expect that to go wrong, right? You're like, okay, I need to run or I'm going to die or get beat up. Something bad's going to happen. You expect that to go wrong. Joseph's going out, hey, guys, how are you today? 
Dad sent me over to see how you're doing, how the sheep. What's up? You go, what a little brat. I hate that. It's, did, wasn't it seven brothers? And he's the littlest. So imagine, I mean, you got bro, big brothers. Like, hey, Joseph, come here. You're sharpening their knives. He's getting closer. He's like, who's going to stab him first? And you're like, who he's talking about? And they, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're being thrown into a pit, and they're all standing there looking at you, like, oh, what's up with you, little Joseph? I'm daddy's little favorite. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you? We should bury him alive. No, nah, let's just stab him. Let's just be. Luckily, one of them intervenes, right? One's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to kill brother. I mean, I, I don't like him as much as anybody else. I don't want to kill him, though. I mean, they got to live with guilt. Which I don't know how you don't live with guilt selling your brother into slavery and taking the money for you. But anyways, you know the story. They pull him up. They sell him off as a slave. They cut up his jacket, send it back to dad and say he got attacked by wild animals and he's dead and everything's wonderful and fine. Was God in that? 100%. Now, I don't think God was excited for Joseph to deal with being separated from his family and a father he loved for years. I don't think that was fun for God. And when he's accused of trying to steal someone else's wife, even though he didn't do it, do you think God was like, ha, I love this part? I don't think so, but was God in that? 100%. And when he was in the prison and helping people and they completely forgot about him for years, was God in that? 100%. You think Joseph knew it? Joseph had no idea what was happening. Not a clue. But you see along the whole story, he did one thing well. He trusted the Lord. It didn't look right, feel right. It didn't go right for him. But he didn't doubt the Lord. No doubt he had his own pressures that he was dealing with inside. Why do my brothers hate me? I don't understand. He had this vision from the Lord that he'd be in control and be in power. This doesn't look like in control and power. He just got sold into slavery and locked up in a dungeon and falsely accused of um, cheating with someone else's wife. I mean, this doesn't look like what the vi- God gave me a vision. It's not coming to pass and, and nothing's going right. But he trusted the Lord. And you see at the very end, years had gone by so many that when Joseph's brothers finally come, they don't even recognize him anymore. I mean, he had grown up and become the most powerful person in the world. He even controlled Pharaoh's stuff. It's amazing. And somewhere along that line, God worked into his heart forgiveness. Isn't it nuts? I mean, if you were sold into slavery by your seven brothers and they lied to your dad and said that you were dead and you saw them and had the power to completely just just demolish them, and they come walking up, and they're going to beg you for food. Wouldn't you just have the, the army just jump on them, bind them up, at least torch them a little bit? What happened? Joseph said, guys, don't worry about it. Because what you did to me and intended evil, God intended it for good. Things are hard sometimes. Suffering hurts. Pain is uncomfortable. The questions and the distress or the loneliness or all of those things inside, they are hard. 
but maybe God wants us to see him a little more clearly. Or maybe we haven't been listening and we need to listen a little bit better. Or maybe he's just positioning us in the place to be used to influence and impact tons of people. This is the last part. They prepare us. They prepare us. So not only do they cause us to see right, they put us in the right position to see, to hear, to listen, but they prepare us for something. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is awesome. Read this chapter. Verse 34, you know David and Goliath, yes? This massive nine-foot beast of a man. He says that he was not just trained for war, bred for war. The same way you would breed dogs to get the special best golden retriever or little pug thing or whatever you like. I don't know what you like. But the same way that Goliath was bred and trained for war, nine feet tall, just comes marching in, and he's going to just devour this little four-foot kid. Like, ha, 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 you come at me. I will, it's, oh, gosh. He actually likens David to a little dog. He's like, I could kill you with my fingers. Like, what is this? This is going to be so easy. You know what David said? Oh, he says, no, you come at me with spear and sword and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. The boldness. But where'd that come from? You read a little bit earlier on, and David says something. It may have been to King Saul. He tells him, don't worry about this guy. When I was a shepherd, referring to his past, he says, I would, I'd be out in the field, and I don't know if he's you know, playing his flute or chewing on a piece of hay or what he was doing taking a nap in his hammock under the tree. I don't know. Because I'd be out there with, in the field, and it would just be me and all the sheep. And then in two different occasions, one time a mountain lion came and grabbed one of the lambs and started running away, and so I chased it down. And I grabbed it by its beard and beat it in the head until it let go of the lamb. This guy's nuts. This is crazy. And he says, oh, yeah, and there was another time, too, where a bear came in. So I did the same thing to the bear. Oh, you wanted, yeah, I say I want to do that, but I'll tell you what, when a bear's running after us, the only person I got to beat is you, okay? <laughs> well, I got your back. Don't worry. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Do you think David woke up ready to just meet a mountain lion face-to-face, grab it by the beard, and just boom, whack it over the head? I don't think he woke up that day expecting it. But in that moment, he just thought it was about saving the lamb. He just thought, oh, I'm a shepherd saving a lamb. That's what I'm supposed to do. He was wrong. And then what about the bear incident? Well, I'm just supposed to save a lamb from the bear too, so I just did what I was supposed to do. Wrong. Wrong. David realizes later on in life when he sees Goliath down in the valley, he says, oh, That's what all of this was about. God put me in difficult positions so that when I'm in a certain position, I'll know what to do. I'll know how to handle it. What is going on? James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Think about it. Aren't you more open to help when you need it 
When we don't need help, it's like, nah, no thanks. I got this. I can handle it on my own, right? But when things begin to fall apart, you're more open to it. You're more open to other ideas. And so, turn your Bibles real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. I think sometimes when we don't know what to do, you realize the Lord already does. When we don't know what to do, the Lord has a plan. When we don't know where to turn, we're supposed to turn towards the Lord. If I could encourage you guys, look, now is the time to begin to build up your faith to really start talking to God a little bit more. Throughout your day, just talk to him. About what? About anything. About everything. What if things aren't bad? Talk to him about what's good. Come to him with thanksgiving, we're encouraged. Just tell the Lord thank you. For what? For roses and not having to smell skunk today. Like, I don't know. For eyelashes that keep the dirt out of your eyeball. Like, for taste buds so that you can eat steak and cheesecake. And Thank him. Thank him for light bulbs and thank him for stupid iPads and thank him for whatever you have. I don't know, but thank him. And begin to read his word. You begin to open it up and spend that time letting God build up your spirit so that when trials and when temptations come, when things fall apart, or forget that, maybe they don't fall apart, but the inside is just overwhelmingly dark. Bible says it is a light to our feet and a lamp into our path. Let the Lord shine the light in and rearrange some things. Verse 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, these things that happen for the moment, they hurt. These light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's something better going on underneath the surface. Verse 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things that are already seen, they're temporary. The trials, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That as God goes through these different seasons in our life with us, not too far in front, not too far behind, but right beside leading us and and talking to us and directing our steps, let him, turn to him, When things go wrong, don't flip out. Don't give up. Don't shake your fist at God. That's when we're supposed to reach out to him. That we call out, crack your Bibles open. God says, don't build your house on shifting sand or the opinions and ideas for the moment. The emotions that you just want what you want, so you're going to do what you want to do. Or a friend says, give some weird advice, and you just go. He says, don't do that. Build your house, your life on the rock that doesn't change. Says my word. Pick it up. But these things that hurt for a moment, just know this, they'll pass. They'll pass. 
but not forever. And what it's working in you is an eternal weight of glory. It's amazing. We're going to pray. We're going to close in worship. But I want to challenge you guys that today, whatever those shaking things are, or if you're going through difficult times, that you leave them with the Lord. That today you you just leave them to the Lord. I'm going to walk that out, out these doors, and you know where I'm going, into my home, or what I have to deal with at school, or what's going on. Lord, you know that you trust him with it. Trust him with it. Turn to him, not away from him. Right? Father, we thank you so much. Lord, maybe not for the, the pain or the difficulty or the loneliness. Lord, those, those aren't fun. But Lord, you say that though our outward man is perishing, Inwardly, Lord, you're renewing us day by day. And so, God, today, make us a new person. Give us a new joy, a new hope. Lord, that you would tumble away those rough edges. And, God, that our faith would shine more clearly to the world than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen.